Good morning. Uh, we're so glad that you're joining us on, um, on our line, on, online at Dothan Christian Fellowship. And uh, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties this morning, so thank you for being gracious for uh, us of, and those of you who will be watching a little bit later. But I just want to open us up in prayer this morning to give you a little bit of an idea of what the morning will look like. We're going to pray, we're going to have some worship, and then Dave's going to come and share a message with us. And then we will have just a time together of some ministry and praying together. So, Father, we come in the name of Jesus, and we thank you so much. God, thank you for um, just being able to even come to you at any time, Lord, that there was an access that was made open and wide from Jesus coming and revealing your goodness, Lord, and to reconcile us to you. Father, thank you that we've been restored to the heart of a good father. And Lord, we bless this morning, and we thank you, and we welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I searched the world But it couldn't fill me A man's empty praise And treasures of faith Are never enough Then you came along And put me back together Every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. I'm not afraid To show you my weakness My failures and flaws Lord, you've seen them all And you still call me friend Because the God of the mountain Is the God of the valley there's not a place the mercy and grace won't find me again. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, oh, nothing is better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. You turn morning to dance. 
rations You turn shame into glory You're the only one who cares You turn mourning to dancing You give beauty for rations You turn shame into glory
turn seas into harbor. You're the darkness 
in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't forget you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are.
Father God, thank you. You have established yourself as a miracle-working God. And Lord, we just release right now, Lord, into impossible situations and circumstances the miracle-working power of the living God. God, that surely you are in our midst and you are among us. So, Lord, we do. We release miracles that they would erupt before our eyes, Lord God, that they would erupt in our homes. They would erupt, Lord, in this moment, wherever we are, Lord, that those needing a miracle of what seems impossible is possible with you. So, Lord, we just thank you for that, Lord, for the miracles that are released in this moment, Lord. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus, miracles are not too difficult for you. Miracles are not too difficult for you. So Lord, we release the goodness and the favor and the kindness of your goodness over your people, Lord. In the name of Jesus and those that are watching today, Lord, we release your goodness and your favor. We release miracles into circumstances, Lord, in these times, Lord, whether it be financial miracles, Lord, it be physical miracles, Lord, it be the freedom, Lord God, of emotional just healing, Lord. God, by your love and your kindness and your favor and your goodness poured out through Jesus, redeeming all things. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that miracles are who you are. The miraculous is your good pleasure to give. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we worship you. We worship you that your goodness has been, is, and always will be established. It cannot be changed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, we worship you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that worship this morning that God is a way maker. He is a miracle worker. And so we just encourage you to lift up your eyes and look to him for that's where your help comes from. In the middle of every scenario and circumstance that may seem like it's impossible, lift up your eyes to where your help comes from this morning. So we are just going to say um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of our worship our um, lead elder, David Hale, is going to come and bring our message this morning. And so we're thankful for him and thankful for all of you that have come and you're here in-house with us, but also to those of you who are watching online. Uh, we bless you, and here's our message. morning, everybody. <laughs> it's going to take a little while for me to get back in the swing of things. It's been a while since I preached, so if I go like for three hours, you guys will know why. 
I promise I won't do that because I'm, I'm get hungry. <laughs> All right, so I want to start a new series today called Unclaimed. Um, this is something that's been on my heart for a long time. One of the things that you realize as a, as a pastor, especially if you do ministry over and over and over again for years, um, it's the daily grind that usually gets you. If you're not careful, you can get really, really discouraged. And so um, there's some things that we can do to keep that from happening, some, uh, some ways that we can pay attention. And so I want to jump into some things today that just kind of uh, help us uh, really capture everything that God has for us. I think so often we get, if we get into the grind, there's some stuff that's available to us. If we're not careful, we'll either let it drop off or we'll never see it in the first place and never walk in it. And I think the Lord has a heart for us to walk in the fullness of the inheritance that he's given us. So I just want to start with this really interesting um, article. And it was in a major newspaper um, a couple years back. 2015 was, uh, was the first year, or sorry, the last year where these complete statistics were available. Um, but they're, they're pretty close probably this, uh, this last few years as well. Um, state agencies um, who, who deal with money, especially with uh, taxes and property and that kind of stuff, um, they returned over $3 billion in unclaimed assets to their rightful owners in 2015. But the, the agencies at the same year received over $7 billion in assets. <laughs> so that means that $4.5 billion in 2015 was completely unclaimed. So that meant the money was there and it was available. The property was there and it was available. It was part of either an inheritance or some kind of payment out to them, um, something that they, they paid into maybe that they didn't get back, like a, an apartment, um, you know, uh, uh, money for you pay for an apartment. Um, there's a, an organization that covers just the property aspect of that. And it's called the National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators. Um, they call it NALPA for short, which that's a good reason for that. Um, anyway, they attempt to reunite unclaimed property with its rightful owner. So they work in all 50 states. They collaborate with the District of Columbia, Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, several C- Canadian provinces, and Kenya. That last one, I thought it was just kind of random, but I have received a lot of emails from a prince there who's willing to send me some money if I give him my <laughs> account details. Don't do that, by the way. <laughs> but there are millions, um, obviously in, some, in, in all the states together, there are billions of unclaimed inheritance. All you have to do is prove who you are and how you're related to the giver. Um, that'll preach, in case you're wondering. <laughs> so again, I said the problem is there's so much, I think, that the body of Christ is missing. I know this has been my experience in, in my walk. Um, we're living as paupers, even though we've been born again as royalty. There's, there's so much inheritance available to us, and so often, again, we just don't walk in what it is um, that, that God has given us. There's an interesting scripture in Joshua. This is uh, when the children of Israel are entering the, entering the promised land. They were claiming an inheritance that God had already given it given to them. It, it already belonged to them, but they had to go in and claim it. So this is what it says, uh, Joshua 18.2. It says, there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. So seven out of the twelve tribes in this moment, in this scenario, had not walked in the fullness of their inheritance. It was available to them. They just hadn't seen it yet. So some of the tribes failed to receive their inheritance Because maybe they were afraid and lacked faith. We see that in Scripture. Some believe that the obstacles were too great or that it was not possible to receive all that God had promised them. So they never received their inheritance. And many Christians have the same experience. God has 
given us His Word. He's given us promises that are true. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. He has plans for our lives. Jeremiah talks about that. Yet we fail to take advantage of the inheritance. And we're content so often to live in failure, in temptation, in brokenness, in weakness, in discouragement, fear, and sickness. So if you're going to walk in all of your inheritance, if you're going to claim all of your inheritance, there's a few things you'll need to know. One, you need to know who's giving the inheritance to you. We've got to discover the giver. Secondly, you need to know what you're getting or how to discover your inheritance. And thirdly, you need to discover the method of inheritance or how do I get what God has already given me. So let's tackle that first one. Um, how do you discover the giver? If you're a new believer um, online, if you're just connecting with us, you're brand new, or if you're just new in your journey, your spiritual journey, so often the big question is, how do I know, how do, how do I get to know God? And obviously there's, uh, there's the scripture, there's the Bible, and so we want to lean into that in just a second. But first thing I want to tackle this, it, it only comes through revelation. The only way we can know God is through revelation. We can only understand the nature and the attributes of God to the extent that he reveals himself. He's got to be willing to communicate, and it turns out that he is. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. It's probably a, a scripture you've heard before. It says, the secret things belong to our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Now, that's the old, old covenant, and in the new covenant, obviously, this still applies. There are things that God has revealed, and there are some things that he has not revealed. But the wonderful news is there's so much that he has revealed that we can actually know him in the things that he's revealed. There's creation in our conscience. All of mankind understands something of God's nature as he's revealed himself through creation and in our conscience. This is Romans 1.19. It says, since, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. You can clearly see. Verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, hear this, so that people are without excuse. So sometimes I've heard this, uh, I remember even asked the same question, I'm like, I don't understand, Lord, it seems like, you know, if judgment is, is there for people who don't come to know you, people who reject you, um, it doesn't seem fair if they don't know you. And scripture goes after that and it tackles and it said, everything that's been created and inside your conscience, you know the difference between right and wrong, which means there's a lawgiver. If you know there's a law, you know Black and white, truth and a lie. You know it from, from the moment. I even remember telling my first lie. It was about some candy that I'd stolen out of, a, out of a store. And I got in the car and my mom's like, you know, I didn't really know how to, you know, hide it very well. My mom's like, where'd you get that candy bar? Like, she didn't buy it for me. So it got real obvious real quick where I got it from. And so she took me back in there and made me apologize. And I remember the shame, right, of feeling, but, but rightfully so. Like, I, she obviously made me own it. And so we know what, what God is, he's given us enough information so that we're not, we're, we don't have an excuse not to believe that he's there. Um, the, theologians call this general revelation. Um, and here's what it really is important about that, that it contains sufficient knowledge to leave us without an excuse concerning God's existence, as he said, and our guilt. We recognize that something's off. 
Then there's, there's his, the word of God. So he gives us um, through creation in conscience, but he also has given us a word of God where he has written it down. He's used men, of course, to write scripture. And, and he's written it down so that we could understand who he is. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says this, All scripture, that's Old Testament and New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That last one is really, really important. His word is, is available to train us up in the way that we should go. Um, verse 17 says that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And when I, I remember reading that, one of the first times I read that, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm not thoroughly equipped. But I would really like to be. That's the thing. Can I be thoroughly equipped? And it turns out, again, that part of the role of leadership in the church is to equip the saints for the work of their ministry. It's not going to church, right? We know this. It's about something that God has put in us, our gifts and our strengths and the, and the things that he's poured into us, our abilities, our passions. Oftentimes, even our frustrations, when I'm frustrated about something, it's usually because there's something inside of me that can tackle that problem and, and, and overcome it. That's kind of the whole point that we're still here. Right, So we kind of know that. Another way is through his spirit. If, you're, if you have relationship with God, the Bible talks about you getting a new heart and a new nature. And his spirit comes and dwells within you. And he can speak to you from the internal inside. It's different than your own mind. If you've ever experienced this as a believer... You know you've heard from God, and you're not sure how it works. And Jesus even tries to explain this to a wise man named Nicodemus, but he was just wise in the world, and he didn't understand the things of the Spirit. And he says the Spirit of God's like the wind. You see things being moved by the wind. You see him working. You just don't know where it comes from and where it goes. In other words, it's the invisible attribute that we can know. Even though we can't see it, we can know. John 10.4 is an amazing scripture. It says, and when he brings out his own sheep, he's talking about Jesus, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Not they can. They do. And I think that's one of the biggest lies that the enemy tells us, is that, that we can't hear his voice, we can't know him. So we can know him, and we should know him. So I want to give you just an example of some of the attributes. Maybe uh, you've forgotten, maybe it slipped like me, sometimes I just need a reminder. Or maybe, again, you're new in the faith and you're, you've never discovered this. But the, the good thing about this is if we discover what he's like through his attributes, who he is, then we can discover how and what he's given. See, that's the thing. If we don't start with the source, we can never get what comes from the source. We miss it, and that's part of the problem, I think, in, in Christian circles today. So one, God is sovereign. And I've talked about this at length, and there's some challenges that you, if you're not careful about this, um, you can get into some trouble. But just the easiest way to understand that is to understand that God's the boss. <laughs> he's chef. If, you're, if you know anything about food, he's in the kitchen. He's, he's it. There's no, there's no pushing back on him. Um, he has the right to do what he wants with everything that he's created. See, he made it so he can do what he wants to with it. Um, I remember one of the first times I gave somebody something, um, I gave them a gift, and they didn't do with it what I thought they should do with it. And I remember feeling kind of like, I, I, that's, I think I should go take that back, right? And I learned the term Indian giver, which is not appropriate nowadays. I get it. But I understood what that meant, right? It's like I gave it, and then I, I'm like, uh, but God's not like that. I mean, it, it, God, because God created everything that he created, he has the right to do with it what he chooses, um, this is an interesting scripture in the Berean Study Bibles in Romans 9.20. It says, But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? God is subject to no one. Job 
2 says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. When God has decided an action, when God has decreed a thing, then nothing can stop that from happening unless he's decreed it to you and you refuse to receive it. Now, hear this. That's a temporary scenario because ultimately the Bible says there's going to come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that God is supreme, that he has been sovereign the whole time, that he has been the boss. So that day is coming and you can bend. I say this all the time. You can bend your knee then in judgment or you can bend your knee here and now in mercy. Because that's the way he set it up. And his heart, obviously, longs to give mercy. The truth is, it's one of the things he's already given. It's, one of, it's a piece of our inheritance that's already available to us. See, God defines what is right. If we do not like an action by God, or if we think God is not fair, it's irrelevant. <laughs> Whatever God says is right, it's right. Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. <clears throat> Whatever God does is, by definition, right. He defines it. We do not have any basis upon which to challenge any action of his because he is the only viewpoint that counts. He is the creator. We are the created. There's this great story in the book of Daniel about a king with a really long name. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And so he had this boast. He was a king. He had conquered everything. They had taken Israel into captivity, and this is where Daniel was one of those. uh, He he was part of the... uh, uh, cabinet, if you will, of Nebuchadnezzar, so he was close to him. And so he, he makes this statement in Daniel 4, verse 28. He says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon, and the king spoke, saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass, or seven years shall pass, over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Man, that just makes my hair stand up. Right? So the story goes that that's exactly what happened. And so he's off in the, in the you know, pastures eating grass or whatever. So he's lost his ever-loving mind. <laughs> but the good news is God's mercy came through in this. And so it picks it up in verse 34. And it says, and at the end of this time, the seven years that he was crazy, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. He came to himself. It reminds me of the scripture in the prodigal son when the Bible says that the son has off, he's, he's spent all of the inheritance he thought was, you know, was, was his, and he's gone and now he's completely poor. The whole time, his father, by the way, has all the inheritance. What he gave his son didn't make an impact on what was still available to him. That's important to remember. And the son comes in and he goes through the whole thing, spends all his money, he, he loses all his friends, what he thought were his friends, and he's feeding pigs, and the Bible says he came to himself. <laughs> and literally it means he, he got his mind right. You know, that's what we say in the South. Man, you need to get your mind right, right? That's what happened to him. He goes on, he says, um, Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. 
He got a new perspective. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? If you're worried about the election, you need to stop it. (laughs) You just need to stop it. I'm not saying don't vote. There's a place where we co-labor with what the Lord does. I get all that. I get it. But at the end of all things, He is the King who reigns over men. And He will have His way. He will have His way. We tend, on the other hand, to create a God who's a lot like us. He holds our values. Mostly He just leaves us alone for us to kind of do what we, what we think. But the Bible says He is altogether not like us. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. But here's the good news. We can be like Him. This is what Scripture says in in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that He will instruct Him? But we, as believers, as Christians, we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that a powerful thing? We can know Him. In His sovereignty, He's in charge, obviously. But He longs to raise, up us, raise us up as sons and daughters to, to reign as royalty. To reign, to co-reign is what Scripture calls it. To co-reign with Him. There's something about what we need to do. And the good news is we can find, we can come into the stream of what the sovereign God has said He wants to do. And we can find our place in it. We can find our part in it. It's a beautiful thing. He longs for us to become part of His family, sons and daughters of the Most High, which means we have received an inheritance. Not we can, we have if you're a believer. God is omnipotent. It's a fun word. It means He's all-powerful. That means He has the ability to do whatever He wants. He has the right in His sovereignty to do it because He created all things. But in His omnipotence, He has the ability to do anything that He wants to do. Sovereignty expresses God's right to do it. Omnipotence expresses His ability. And here's Isaiah 43, 13. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? And if God be for you, who can be against you? But if God is against you, who can be for you, right? (laughs) Thank God for grace. (laughs) Um, omniscience, this is another one. That means that he's all-knowing. This is Psalm 147. He counts the numbers of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Hear that? His understanding is infinite. He's created all things. He knows all things. Right? His wisdom and his knowledge is infinite. Here's another thing. God is holy. This one people have a lot of trouble with sometimes. They just think about it about being right and wrong. And that's not exactly the way this works. There's an aspect of it, but listen to this. God being holy, God being holy means that God is wholly other and different from us. I just read that he's altogether not like us. God is separate from other things. Holy means separated. Pull, pull, pulled away and, and, and made apart, set apart for something different. He's separate from all other things. And here's the thing, it, he's 100% pure in everything that he does. He draws us to himself, imperfection to perfection, broken to whole, less to more. He is perfectly righteous. 
It's what holiness means as well, what God being holy means. Revelation 15.4 is really interesting scripture. It says, Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. See, we know. That's what I was saying before about being four or five years old, whenever it was I stole that candy bar. Something about that I knew was wrong, right? I didn't live in a socialist country, so I, it wasn't free for me. You know, candy bars are free if you're socialist. Sorry, that was just a political jab because it's the season for it. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I just couldn't resist. But, but I realized, I'm like, this is wrong. Somebody else paid for that candy bar, right? And I took it, and so that means I took something that belonged to somebody else. It's just a terrible thing. And so I understood that some, I was wrong. Something had been violated inside of me. Something was different now. Right? Before that, I was innocent. Really, I never thought about, I mean, I'm sure I acted up, you know, need to spankings. But I'm just saying that this settled in my heart. This is wrong, and I knew it was wrong. The good news about God being holy is means his intentions toward you and I are pure. Right? They're pure. That means you can trust him. You can lean into him because his intentions towards you are honorable. Isn't that what, the, what fathers ask um, you know, future son-in-laws, what are your intentions towards my daughter? And the answer is, you better have the right answer, right? If you're a young man, otherwise you're going to go missing somewhere in a lake where daddy goes fishing, right? But, but when the intentions are pure as a father, when you see the intentions of, of a, a future son-in-law, a boyfriend or whatever, when his intentions are pure and honorable towards your daughter, there's something about you that relaxes, something about that that's right, something about that that now you can trust him. And what he's gonna, how he's going to start a new family with your daughter. And according to scripture, you know, the father leads that home and that daughter, he's, he's responsible to stand in front, to hear the Lord for her and give her direction as she's learning to hear from herself, right? That's the intent. And at some point, that father, you see this in weddings and it's beautiful, that father, you know, this question is who gives this woman to this man, right? And it's her father, I mean, her, uh, Sorry, her mother and I, we say that now. But there's something about that father who's relinquishing something, right? And, and there's something powerful about the holiness of God. It's just, it's just amazing. He's perfectly righteous, and we can trust him. God is immutable is another one. That means he never changes. Malachi 3.6 says this, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Isn't that an interesting scripture? He says, he says, because I don't change, you're not consumed. In other words, if God changed, if you know, you think about that, people who walk on eggshells in their home because you know someone is is uh, changeable. <laughs> Let me put it that way. They have extremes of emotion, and how that brings fear, and, and there's no safety in it. But the Bible says God is immutable; He never changes. And once you know that, you can fully trust Him. You can relax. You can rest in. Him and what He's given us as an inheritance. James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. You think about that in the ancient days, what that meant. You know, you start out in the morning, if you've got a tower, that shadow changes throughout the day. And, and it's subtle, but it's recognizable, Right? And what, what he's saying in the scripture is God's good and every perfect and good thing comes from him. And you can trust that because he's not like the shadow that moves ever so slightly, but at some point you realize he's different now than he was before. He never changes. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that means he won't let you down. You can actually count on him. There's so many more of the attributes. I don't have time to go through them all. God, God is omnipresent here. You know, he's everywhere all the time. He's infinite. He's self-sufficient, just, merciful, gracious, glorious. God is loving. But let me finish the list with one of the most enlightening, and that's this. God is good. And it's a simple fact. It's a simple truth, but it's powerful. He's good, and this fact never changes. He's good all the time, not just once in a while or when things go your way. He is the sum total of all perfection. There are no defects or contradictions in him, and nothing can be added to his nature to make him any better. He is excellence to an infinite degree, possessing every desirable quality and therefore of inestimable value. He is the most valuable. And because God is himself the highest and greatest good, he is also the source and the fountain of all things that are good. Every good thing we now enjoy, every hope to enjoy flows from him and no good thing that has ever existed or ever will exist, it's come from him. Any good thing, it's come from him. And here's an interesting thing. There's a relationship between God's goodness and and his other attributes. This is kind of fascinating. For example, when his goodness gives of itself unconditionally and sacrificially, it's love. When it shows favor to the guilty and undeserving, it's grace. When it reaches out to relieve the miserable and distressed, it's mercy. When it shows patience towards those who deserve punishment, it is long-suffering. When it reveals to us the way things are, it's truth. His goodness revealing the way things are is truth. When it bears the offense of our sin and absolves us, absolves us of our guilt, it is forgiveness. When the Bible says that God is good, it is referring to all these qualities and much, much more. Here's another interesting scripture in Romans 2. It says, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The New Living Translation translates kindness to goodness. Those words can be interchangeable. Here's what's interesting. The word repentance doesn't mean, you know, it's not his kindness that leads you to run down the altar and cry. Maybe you will. But the whole intent of, of the, word, uh, it, the word in the Greek there, um, repentance, mean, it's metanoia, and it just means to change your mind, to, to think a new way. And so his kindness, the Bible says God's goodness, when you see his goodness, when you recognize that this is the attribute and it never changes, it's never going anywhere, it's, it's perfectly stable, it's not moving. His goodness is always towards you because of what Jesus did. He took away all the sin, took away everything that was in the way of God's goodness and his kindness towards you. And so his favor won't come to you, his favor rests upon you. His inheritance is available to you. You just have to trust it. I have this thing I call, and I'm trying to work on this tactic and all the other aspects of my life, but I have this thing Karen calls parking lot faith. Like you pull into a big, I just don't want to walk for forever, right? <laughs> when you park. And so I just drive toward the front and there's always a parking spot. I'm like, how nice is that? And I'm, I'm, I always try to think, I want the one right next to the handicapped parking space. You know, I want that first one. And I almost always get it. Now, if I could just work on other things, <laughs> like allow my faith to rise up, and that's, again, part of the challenge. We're going to get into that next week. But that's part of the challenge is to recognize when you really see God's goodness and he proves himself in so many ways, why is it that we think now in this circumstance he's going to be different? Because we forget. We forget the attributes. We forget who he is. We have to realize who he is and what he's offered. It's such an incredible inheritance. 
So because of who he is, his nature, he has an inheritance to give. Because of his goodness, especially, other attributes too, but especially because of his goodness, he longs to pour out his inheritance and favor upon you because it's already available to you. How much of what God has offered goes unclaimed? Like the money that sits in bank accounts in our state and federal government that belongs to someone else. It's available. We just haven't received it. Oftentimes, it's because we ascribe to him character and behavior that is not consistent with who he has revealed himself to be. We ascribe to him. Scripture says, ascribe to him glory. Ascribe to him praise. Say something about him that's true. The word ascribe is really interesting. It means to attribute something to something or to regard a quality as belonging to. It's, it, what it really is, it's coming into alignment. These are phrases you hear me say when I'm preaching. Coming into alignment with the purposes of God. Coming into alignment with the word of God. Coming into alignment with truth. Coming into alignment with the fact that his favor is ever upon you. Right? What would that look like? What would that look like if your expectation was good all the time? doesn't mean, you know, we live in a fallen world. The Bible says trouble is, is here. Jesus talked about that. You're going to have it with you, right? Trouble is here because of the fall. But the whole point by, about being in this world is to receive the inheritance so that we have so much available to us that it becomes very, very easy to distribute that out to other people, right? And again, remember the, the prodigal son? Um, the older son especially, the Bible says that he was a little bit angry because the son had gone away and done what he'd done, and he came back, and it turns out the older son was just a little bit religious. And so the Bible teaches in other places, you see this, that the, that the older son, the oldest son, always got a double inheritance. He always got more than everybody else. And, and you wonder, well, that doesn't seem fair until you understand that part of the purpose is that he, at some point, the oldest son, would take over the patriarchy of the, of the clan, of the extended family. And then he was expected, because he had a greater inheritance, to take care of the family, especially the younger brother. But he never left the field. He never left his own responsibilities, what he thought he should be doing to try to gain favor with his father. He never did that because he never realized that he had an inheritance too, inheritance too. And part of the reason he had an inheritance was so he could go and rescue his younger brothers. And that's the call that God has on you and I. Part of the reason why we're to walk in inheritance, of course, is to enjoy the inheritance, right? I mean, how amazing is it when you realize that God's favor is ever upon you and you can park really close when you go to Walmart. I mean, that's just a sweet thing. <laughs> but also this favor on jobs and relationships. God, that you would, you would lead me to the right person. You see this on a regular occasion when people submitted themselves and came into alignment with the God that they ascribed truth and goodness and mercy and kindness. And when they ascribed that to him and aligned themselves with it, you would see they would go like with Abraham, with different people, uh, patriarchs in the Bible, they would go and search for a wife for their son and they would always find the right one. Isn't that interesting? How they were led. And you see this throughout Scripture. So what would it look like? What would it look like if we took advantage of the revelation that he's given? Because he has revealed himself. But so often we're busy, right? We, we, Karen says this all the time. We all lead full lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. Outside of oftentimes the full lives begin to take hold of our, our presence of mind. And we forget and we stop living in the moment, the eternal moment, and start living in this temporary moment. And God challenges us. And so this is why I've been putting this out on Facebook. You, someone said, I'm tired of seeing your feet. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I have pretty feet, so it's okay, right? <laughs> but I did put my face up for one of them, just 
you know, for something different. But here's the thing. I do that every, every, almost every morning. I'll put it out there. Um, and, and I'm like, hey, this is the daily reading. Because if you don't do that, if you don't get into the Word of God, He's revealed Himself. But if you haven't read it, if you haven't done your part, if you haven't co-labored, if you haven't come into alignment, you're never going to know the fullness of your inheritance. And you're going to walk as a pauper when you are royalty. And so God's challenging us. Get into the Bible. Read the Bible. I mean, the good news about technology is there's so many ways you can do that. You can listen to the Bible. You can download audiobooks with the Bible that will literally talk to you. Sometimes when I'm having trouble going to sleep, I have this, I have this um, uh, drama version of the Bible. Sometimes it's, it's overly dramatic. But um, <laughs> I'll turn that on and listen to it and, it, and it doesn't have chapters and verses. It just tells a story dramatically, and I just listen to it until I fall asleep. And, and it's, it's an amazing thing because it just embeds the Word of God. And so there's ways to get it into you. But if you don't make an effort, if you don't lean into it, the inheritance is available, that's available to you and I will never come because you don't even know that it exists. And so you have to lean in. You have to get to know Him. You have to lean into His presence. When we're in worship, when you're driving down the road, maybe don't close your eyes in worship when you're driving, but, but put on worship music. Put Put something, get something inside of you. Let it, let it draw you into the presence of God. And sometimes I've, I've been in the presence of God and I'm sitting there um, and I'm just saying, Lord, even like after reading the Bible, I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, I, there's, there's some questions I have, right? And I'll, 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 I'm thinking about, like one, I'm leaning into healing. I, want, I long to see more healing. And I think, again, it's an inheritance as a big picture body inheritance is available to the church because, you know, part of, part of it is God wants to do good things. He doesn't want to give you sickness. He wants to give you healing for sickness, right? And so, but we're not seeing that as a body, as a whole, I think the way we should. And so the question for my heart never comes to God, you're not providing it or you haven't provided. It's, it's asking the question, Lord, what hinders now us receiving every good thing that you've given? And it drives me to go deeper. And maybe I don't, maybe I don't get very far in this generation, in my own generation. But I'm going to leave an inheritance a generation that comes after me that maybe they can pick up that baton and run with it. And maybe the next generation can walk in an even greater fullness of the healing and, and the power of God. That's part of what I long for. So what would it look like if we took advantage of every way He's revealed Himself? I said at the beginning, if you're going to walk in the claim... Walk in the claim for all of your inheritance. There are a few things you need to know. Who's giving it to you? Discover the giver of the inheritance. And that's what we've been talking about today. And I encourage you to go deeper in that. I hope you've had a glimpse of his power and his majesty, his ability to give you an inheritance. His desire and his goodness to pour that out on you. And as we go into this next um, week, we want to talk about um, not just what, who he is and what he's done, but how, what he's given and how we receive it. It's a big part of it, and it's a little bit deeper. I couldn't do it all in one, so I wanted to break it, up, break it up. But my prayer is that you would come to know the one who's given you the inheritance. And there's a beauty behind this that, you know, there's, there's this thing when you're young, um, as a believer, I think there's a longing for what he gives. Like you pursue the gifts for the sake of the gifts. I know I did that when I was younger. But there's a moment when you really, I think if you really go after this, there's a moment when you transcend that and you stop chasing the gift and you start chasing the giver. You begin to see in the gift the character and the nature and the beauty of the one who just did that. I remember, uh, I'll leave you with this, I remember 
we had someone in our congregation who, were, who was just learning the things of the Spirit, and there was a, uh, something a lot of people don't understand, but there was a gift that moved um, akin to prophecy. It was called tongues and interpretation. If you've never experienced that, uh, if you've experienced it poorly, I apologize on behalf <laughs> of all the broken Pentecostals and Charismatics out there who didn't get it right, which was me, um, and maybe we still don't get it right completely. But our heart is to make sure that we're displaying the attributes and the character of God when we deliver the gifts, because again, the gifts are supposed to reflect the giver. In this moment, this, this message, this language goes out, and there's a pause, and then there's several people who came forward and brought an interpretation. But what was fascinating is there was a guy who was a missionary to Bosnia who recognized Bosnian words in that, in that message, and so he came and shared that part of it. And there was another lady who'd been studying with her, her, uh, her daughters, and they'd been studying uh, the Canterbury Tales in Old English. And she recognized Old English in that message. And there was a several other things that happened. But that person who was there that morning said, that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced. And she'd been told, she, I don't think she'd bought into it, but she'd been told that it was negative, it was bad, that tongues doesn't exist today, it's, you know, it's not worth it. But I can tell you this, when we dig in, when we lean in, even to the power of God, remember he starts out, God does what he wants. I don't know about you, but I want a God who does what he wants, right? And in his goodness, the gifts and the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit is good and it blesses us. We can get that all wrong. We can misuse the gifts, and we have. And we've got to do better at that. Part of that is leaning in. And as we do that, there's a drawing to the one who is the giver of the gift. And in the beauty of what I saw that morning, God used this elaborate, beautiful you know, languages and uh, the power of the encounter and the presence of God to speak to a person and say, you know what? All the things you heard about the gifts and therefore reflect on the giver, none of those things are true. I'm good. And I want to pour out my favor and my goodness on your life. And so I just want to challenge this again. Discover the giver of the gifts. Discover the giver of the inheritance. There's so much that is unclaimed in our walk with God. And even in our, uh, our corporate walk as a church, local church, and again, we're praying for revival, in not just here but across the nation, across the world, but there's something beautiful about when we share the good news. I remember before I really understood grace and the character of God the way I do now, I didn't want to share the good news because it wasn't really good news in my head. It was guilt and shame and condemnation because I never did enough. I could never do it enough. But what Jesus did, he did completely. He said on the cross, it's finished. There's no more you have to bring. I'm going to give everything. And the worst thing we can do is to try to do it ourselves and ignore the, the giver and the gifts. The whole idea behind all that is to draw us away from our selfishness and our, our own self-sustainability and to draw us into relationship with Him because ultimately that was His intention all along. God loved the world so much, He gave His only begotten Son so that He could have you. In your worst place, before you were a Christian, before you did one thing right, in your brokenness, he came and he said, I love you. And I've already given an inheritance in my son and what he's done on the cross to wipe away all of your sin so that you can come into my presence for help, for encouragement, for um, joy, for peace. Whatever it is that you need has already been given and I've given it all. Now all you have to do is learn how to receive. We're going to do that next week.
Let me pray with us. Jesus, we just say thank you. Thank you for your mercy and your kindness, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. God, we've seen uh, recent shows and movies and books about what it would look like if superheroes went bad. (laughs) And Lord, when someone has that kind of power and they go bad, no one can stop them. Um, But Lord, what's so amazing is you have that kind of power and your good and your intention towards us is always pure. It's always holy. It's always right. Lord, it's always to bless and not curse. Lord, it's always to give favor. Lord, it's to heal. Lord, it's to rescue. It's to redeem. And so, Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you that you are the giver of all good good gifts. And, Lord, we want to learn more about you and more about how to receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. If you need prayer, of course, you can go to our uh, website if you're online, um, and you can... uh, You can click on different areas there to get a hold of us and uh, send us a a prayer request. Uh, But if you need prayer this morning, if you're here in the building, just hang out where you are. And uh, as we close, uh, just maybe sit there for a minute and we'll just come over, raise your hand or get our attention and we'll come pray for you. We love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.